morning. Today's scripture reading is from Isaiah chapter 31, verses 1 through 3. Woe to those who go down to Egypt for help and rely on horses, who trust in chariots because there are many, and in horsemen because they are very strong. But do not look to the Holy One of Israel or consult the Lord. And yet he is wise and brings disaster. He does not call back his words, but will arise against the house of the evildoers and against the helpers of those who work iniquity. The Egyptians are man and not God, and their, ho- and their horses are flesh and not spirit. When the Lord stretches out his hand, the helper will stumble, and he who is helped will fall, and they will all perish together. Thank you, Tommy. How are we doing this morning, church? I'm doing great. Thanks for asking. If you want a cheat code for uh, Mother's Day lunch wait times, it's wake up early and go to breakfast. That's what we did. It was, it was the move. I've got uh, two disclaimers this morning before we get into our, our message, because th- this has the potential to be a, a very hard message and a, and a very challenging message. The first is, is a little insight into the preparation that's put into these sermons. We're going to be handling some subjects and issues that might make this sermon sound like a direct response to recent events in our, in our country. And in a way it is. But this scripture reading and, and this topic has been in preparation for almost three months. And more specifically, this scripture reading that we're about to read and, and, and this message has been in place for about a month and a half. So if these scriptures... And this message in any way is communicating with what's going on in our country or what you're experiencing in your life. I suspect that to be the work of the Holy Spirit in in you and in me. To bring this message to this group of people at this moment in time. And praise be to God for that. If there is something this morning that is said that troubles you, and I, I mean this, I would love to talk with you about it. If you would contact me, my email and my phone number are on the front of the bulletin. They're also on our website. The second thing I want to share before we move on this morning is something about the tone of this message. This message and, and the rest of this series is going to sound very us against them, us versus them. Christian versus non-Christian spiritual warfare. And much like the uh, First disclaimer, in in a way, this is about spiritual warfare. And even though there's going to be some of that language, we need to recognize something up front. The battle is not us against them. It's us against sin. It never has been us against them, and it never will be. As Jay alluded to last week, there are powers at work that are actively trying to undermine truth and to diminish the authority of God's word But this fight that's being fought is not us fighting against other people. It's fighting against ungodliness and untruths and evil against sin. As a matter of fact, it's it's a battle that Jesus has already won. Still, we must be ready to speak up in the name of truth. Last week, Jay brought us to Elijah, probably one of the most well-known of the prophets to many of us. And through looking at Elijah's example as a prophet, and how Jesus and the New Testament reframes 
the responsibility of, of the prophet, he asks us this question, is anyone going to say something? Is, are you going to say something? Elijah is most famous for speaking out against evil at a, at a time of evil kings and I, uh, idolatry in, in Israel. Why were there no other Israelites concerned about evil? Why were no other Israelites vocal about the need to follow God's word? As Jay demonstrated for us, if we are baptized believers, then now we are the ones who are called to stand up. We are the prophets. We are the priesthood we saw in 1 Peter 2. And this is super exciting because it often means leading people to Christ for the first time. But they can also be scary because sometimes, like in Elijah's case, it means that we have to be the bearers of bad news. You see, people are drawn to sin. I don't need to tell you that sin, which is selfish by nature, is attractive and enticing in many ways. And one of our convictions as Christians is that the world is broken and that Jesus is the cure. That's, that's the good news. That's the good news. But what do we do when people love how broken it is? What are we supposed to do when people rally and campaign to celebrate evil living and injustice? Are Christians supposed to act like nothing is happening, tiptoeing around the issue because we don't want to offend people? Or are Christians supposed to join them in their evil living in the name of compassion and, and mercy? to celebrate their idolatry and selfishness? Or are Christians supposed to stand up in the name of truth? In the case of Elijah, and as for many times with you and for me, the truth is going to be unpopular and unwelcome. And even though Elijah was declaring the truth of God's word to God's people, for a time this very much sounded like bad news to them because they didn't want to receive it. It meant that people were going to have to change and to give up some of the things in their life that they had grown to love, to give up some of their passions and some of their lifestyle choices in the Israelite world. There are two prophets who brought particularly unpopular and unwelcome words from God to his people. The first would be Elijah in 1 Kings, who we looked at last week. The second is the prophet Amos. And for the next few weeks, we're going to spend time looking at Amos's prophetic message, what he has to say to Israel and the people. Truthfully, Amos does not want to say what God has told him to say. He knows it's going to make people hate him. He knows that people are going to disagree with him, and he knows that people are going to try to silence him, and they do try at least. But this is what Amos has to say about the word of the Lord. Would you read the words in orange? The lion has roared, who will not fear? The Lord God has spoken, who can but prophesy? The Lord has spoken, who can but prophesy? Amos has no choice but to share God's word. Even if people don't like it, and the same is true for us, if we are temples of the Holy Spirit, a royal priesthood. Church, the message of the cross is love and mercy, and we're going to talk a lot about that. The yoke of Jesus is easy, and his burden is light, and his joy giving to those who are willing to receive it. But we cannot sit by and allow evil to invade 
our temples. Allow our hearts to become havens of idolatry and selfishness that is existing in our world right now. Sometimes, like Elijah, we need to take a stand for truth. Sometimes, like Amos, we need to be the bearer of bad news against those who would celebrate evil. Because what's good news for us, what's good news for Christians, is bad news for people who won't listen to it. Join me this morning in Amos chapter, Amos chapter 1 as we begin to look at the bad news that this prophet has no choice but to share. Elijah and Amos have a lot in common. They're the two least trained of all of the prophets. We don't know much about Elijah's background, but we know that Amos was just a sheep herder when he heard the word of the Lord. Elijah and Amos both were incredibly unpopular because of the things that they said about God were directly opposed to how their peers were living in Israel. Yes, if people would obey God and turn to him, there would be an incredible amount of blessing that would come from God. But what about when people don't want to turn to God? That's what you and I are up against, and that's the core of Amos's message. Reading from Amos 1.1, the words of Amos, who was among the shepherds of Tekoa, which he saw concerning Israel in the days of Uzziah, king of Judah, and the days of Jeroboam, the son of Joash, king of Israel, two years before the earthquake. And he said, the Lord roars from Zion and utters his voice from Jerusalem. The pastors of the shepherds mourn, and the top of Carmel withers. There are a few things here that tell us a little bit more about the background of Amos's message of bad news. The first is the setting. During the reign of Uzziah and Jeroboam, Uzziah, for all intents and purposes, was a decent king. Second Kings tells us that Uzziah did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, but he did not remove the idols and the false gods from the high places. Uzziah knew what was right, and he did nothing. He knew what was right, and he said nothing. Jeroboam is the opposite. Not to be confused with his great-great-grandfather, this Jeroboam did what was evil in the eyes of the Lord, and he did not depart from the sins of the evil kings who came before him. So Amos, this sheep herder prophet, this average guy, is speaking to Israel and Judah at a time of evil from top to bottom. The average Israelite is either participating in, celebrating, or turning a blind eye to the sin that's rampant in Israel. And the people who are in power, the kings, are allowing this to happen. They're even supporting it and encouraging it. The second thing that this introduction tells us about Amos's message is found in verse 2. The lion roars from Zion, but the shepherds are mourning. The mountains are withering. Why would the shepherds be mourning and the mountains withering at the voice of God? An important thing to recognize about these evil kings in Israel and Judah, especially Uzziah and Jeroboam, is that physically and financially, these kings led their nations to very prosperous seasons. In fact, one evil king, Manasseh, leads Israel through one of its most prosperous times as a nation with an extended period of peace and bliss, even almost as long as the great King David. But just because things are going well for the nation does not mean that God's word is being obeyed and that God approves of what they're doing. Let me say that again another way. Even though the Israelite nation is doing great, 
It seems peaceful. It seems prosperous. The people are hurting. The very foundation of the earth is withering because evil is flourishing among God's people where it's not supposed to be. Amos's message comes at a time where God's people are, are relishing and evil living, and so his message to them is certainly going to be received as unwelcome. And if they're not willing to receive it, it's going to be bad news. The Israelites are held to a high standard because of all that God has done for them and promised to them. But Amos' bad news isn't just for the Israelites. It's also for the surrounding nations, and that's who we're going to look at this morning. Amos' first oracles are judgments against Israel's enemies. Even though they weren't God's people, they're still God's people created in his image. And some of the nations that Amos brings bad news to are the Philistines, the Edomites, the Moabites, the Assyrians. If you're familiar with Old Testament history at all, you know that these nations are some of the worst of the worst when it comes to Israelite enemies, when it comes to ungodliness. And Amos' message is bad news to them because the Lord is going to bring justice for their crimes. Here's a few of the judgments that Amos has against, against these nations in Amos 1. In verse 3, For three transgressions of Damascus and for four I will not revoke the punishment because they have threshed Eliad with threshing sludges of iron, so I will send fire upon the house of, of Hazael and it shall devour the strongholds of Ben-Hadad. In verse 6, For three transgressions of Alza and for four, I will not revoke the punishment because they carried into exile a whole people to deliver them up to Eden. So I will send fire upon the wall of Gaza and it shall devour her strongholds. In verse 13, for three transgressions of the Ammonites and for four, I will not revoke the punishment because they have ripped open pregnant women in Eliad that they might enlarge their borders. So I will kindle a fire in the wall of Abah and it shall devour her strongholds fire upon houses and walls, devouring strongholds and princes certainly sounds like bad news to me. Amos's message to all of these foreign nations is bad news because judgment is coming. And we could spend a significant amount of time working through each of these oracles and the other ones we didn't read, but I want to try to highlight some of the big evils that were existing in the surrounding nations around God's people. All of these nations are guilty of war crimes, of how they are relating to other people. The oracle against Damascus in verse 3 is for their use of inhumane torture weapons. The oracle against Gaza in verse 6 is, is for slavery. It's, it, it's for their oppression and their discrimination against other nations. The oracle against the Ammonites in verse 13, probably one of the most gruesome of them all, is for their murdering of unborn babies and their murder of pregnant women to control populations. We'll, we'll revisit some of these later this morning. But before we do, I want to consider this. Is it fair that these other nations are going to be punished? After all, the Ammonites and the Philistines never signed a contract with God concerning his covenant and his laws for holy living. The Assyrians and the Moabites were never blessed by God with grand miracles, at least that we know of, like the crossing of the Reed Sea or, or the manna that came from heaven in the desert. How is it fair that these four nations are going to be punished 
for doing something that they never agreed to. The answer lies, lies not in the letter of the law, but in what happens in this world when evil exists. Evil is not just a, a disobedience to the Ten Commandments and the Mosaic Law. Evil existed on earth long before the law was given to Moses at Mount Sinai. Evil began to invade this world all the way back in the garden. And humanity has felt the pain of it ever since. These foreign nations aren't punished because they're doing something that they never agreed to. They're punished because they're doing something that they weren't created to do. Evil and sin's presence in this earth produces heartache and pain and division in a way that this world, you and I, were not created to see. Often we think of Genesis chapter 3, where the serpent tempts uh, Adam and Eve to eat the fruit as the fall. But to borrow someone else's uh, term, Genesis 3 isn't the fall, but it's the fallout. What began in the garden has been spreading and spreading ever since. It is the introduction of evil into the world, and the outpouring that we see in the chapters that follow are felt in a number of ways. Evil like we read in Amos 1-2, causes shepherds to mourn, the foundations of the world to hurt. Evil puts brother against brother. Literally, we see evil and sin crouching at Cain's or when he murders his brother out of hatred. Evil also produces sickness and inflicts pain on the body. One of the first examples of which that we see in the Bible is Sarah, Abraham's wife, who's unable to bear children. And on Mother's Day, we celebrate and honor our mothers for their wisdom and for their endurance and their perseverance. But like the shepherds, we are mourning. Mourning with those who have felt the pains of childbearing and of mothering. Like Sarah, we mourn with those who are unable to have children or those who have had a miscarriage or those who have had a child pass from this world too soon. Or those who have seen their children walk away from the Lord and become like foreign nations. The world was not created to be this way. And evil, while sometimes it's attractive and enticing, will always bring about pain and destruction. So where do we fit into all this? What is Amos's message of bad news to foreign nations in the year 700 BCE? Why does that matter? to Christians who are almost a quarter of the way through the 21st century. Almost. It goes back to the kings who were in charge during the time of Amos's, uh, Amos's message, Uzziah and Jeroboam. One, a good king who turned a blind eye to evil, and another, who was an evil king who campaigned to bring about more evil. And immediately after Amos brings these judgments, these bad news oracles to foreign nations for their evil living, he says this to the Israelites in Amos 2, for three transgressions of Judah and for four, I will not revoke the punishment because they have rejected the law of the Lord and they have not kept his statutes, but their lies have led them astray. So I will send fire upon Judah and I shall devour the strongholds of Jerusalem. Even though some of God's people were living right in the eyes of the Lord, like Uzziah, they were keeping silent against evil. 
They were believing lies of sin and selfishness in the nations around them. And the evil that used to exist out there among the other nations now exists in here among God's people. Next week we'll take a deeper look at the evil that existed among the Israelites in Amos 2 and 3. And we'll look inward to see if we're guilty of some of the same things. But for the rest of our time this morning, I want to conclude by looking outward, by looking at our foreign nations. Foreign nations is a, is a phrase that's used multiple times in the Old Testament to describe places or governments where God is not at the head. And for a time, Israel was forced to live in exile among foreign nations for their behavior. And their situation in that time is pretty similar to our situation in this time. Because unfortunately, our country is a foreign nation. Sure, we can try to elect people who have Christian values and motivations. Sure, our nation was founded on some liberties that are very similar to Christian morals. But this, Christ, this country is not God's kingdom. And like the Israelites who are living in exile, we cannot be converted to our current culture and forget the truth and believe the lies. Instead, we need to be transforming the world around us to look more like God's kingdom. Regardless of what political party you might Id identify with, we cannot believe the only way to influence our culture is by voting for the right person and trusting that they'll take care of it. That's the kind of attitude that led the Israelites into centuries of disobedience to God's word. Asking for a king and trusting that their king would make the right decisions. Our culture can only be changed if Christians start to live like people like Elijah and like Amos who are serious about prayer, who are serious about obedience to God's word, and are serious about the truth. And at this very moment right now, our political leaders are trying to decide what is truth in a number of areas in our world. Are we going to blindly follow what they have to tell us? I want to reread Amos' oracle against the Israelite people because I think it's rather appropriate to this situation. What Amos is doing is he's looking at everything the foreign nations are doing and he's saying, you're guilty too. Immediately after he condemns the Ammonites who ripped open the pregnant women of the foreign nations, he says this to Judah, for three transgressions of Judah and for four, I will not revoke the punishment because they have rejected the law of the Lord. They have not kept his statutes and their lives have led them, their lies have led them astray. There are a lot of people who are trying to tell us how the way the world is, what people should and shouldn't do. Are we going to allow lies to lead us astray? When I think about the Israelites and the centuries of evil, centuries of disobedience, and Elijah was the only one who stood up and said something, why weren't those Israelites saying something. They knew the word of God. Maybe they were worried what their own Israelites, their own people would think if they would stand up and defend the truth. Amos's message to the people, both the Israelites and the foreign nations, is full 
of bad news. It isn't bad news because God is a bad God. It's bad news because people don't want God. The message of the gospel is most certainly good news. But for those who would rather live in sin, God's justice is going to be bad news. And Christians today are blessed by the good news of the cross, that Jesus died on the cross for our transgressions, for our evil, so that we don't have to be separated from God anymore. But there are people out there who are living in sin. And they aren't just living in it, but they're embracing it. And they're trying to spread it. No matter who the king is, no matter what people around us are doing, Christians have heard the word of the Lord like a roar of a lion. And we have no choice but to prophesy. We can't help but share the truth, even if that truth becomes unpopular or unwelcome. Do not believe that peace and the prosperity that are found in this world in any way correlate or are greater than God's peace and God's providence and God's justice. There's a hymn, we don't sing much at this church, but I love the scriptures that it's based on. Uh, One of the scriptures was read for us earlier. Uh, It's found in Isaiah 31 and also in Psalm 20. Can you complete the line? Some trust in chariots, we trust in the name of the Lord our God. The chariots in, in that hymn and in those, uh, in those verses are symbols of political and military might, of, of government. Do not put your trust in these things. Yes, we should be trying to influence our culture and our government and our communities through our faith, but we must trust in the word of God alone. Just because something is legal does not mean that it's moral. It doesn't mean that it's the word of God. We're going to spend a couple more weeks in the book of Amos, and truthfully, unapologetically, his prophetic message is full of bad news. It's bad news for the foreign nations like we saw this morning. It's bad news for God's own people, as we'll see next week. And it's bad news for all people who walk the face of the earth, as we'll see in the week after. But it isn't all bad news. You'll hang around with us until the end of the month, the end of Amos' message. After all eight and a half chapters of bad news, comes the good news. And if we're baptized believers in, in Christ, we already know the good news. That Jesus, the Son of God, came down here to this earth to bear the weight of our sin that used to be bad news for us because the wages of our sin is death. If you're not a Christian this morning, then you need to know that the gift of God is eternal life. That's the good news, that even while sin continues in this world, even while pain and heartache abound, this world is not our home. We were created to be with our Creator again. If you want to put on baptism this morning and allow Jesus to throw off the weights of your sins and your shame, we would love to work with you to make that happen. If you are a Christian and you need the prayers of the church, of your brothers and sisters this morning. We love to pray with you or pray for you. Another piece of the good news is that even when we choose evil, especially when we choose evil, even when we ignore the truth and make our own selfish decisions, grace is always available to us through the blood of Jesus Christ. If you have any need, whether it's on, in person or on Facebook, make that known in just a moment in the comments by 
coming up front or by finding one of the elders or, or the ministers in the back. The lion has roared, who will not fear? The Lord God has spoken, who can but prophesy? Are you going to say something this week to spread the truth of God's word? My prayer is that those who would hear it would believe it to be the good news that it is. But I also pray that even if they don't receive it, even if they ignore the good news, I pray that we would have the boldness to bear the bad news anyways. If you have a need this morning, won't you come while we stand and as we sing.